Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, my name is Drake. Recently, I was told by the doctor that I only had two weeks to live due to a deadly disease. I started in the final year of high school, and I was also the captain of the school basketball team, in which I played with my best friend, Alex. We had been friends since childhood. Moreover, we hadn't quarreled even once for all the time we knew each other. And I was also secretly in love with Mary, who had always helped me with my studies. We often sat in the library, writing reports or doing homework together, and so it happened that I fell in love with her. But I never dared to confess that to her in order not to destroy our friendship. Mom and Dad tried to help me get the athletic scholarship, so they had a firm hand over me. My life consisted of diets, daily morning workouts, and a strict day regimen. It infuriated me, but still, I was not too angry with my parents because they really put a lot of energy into me. For example, my dad had always accompanied me during the morning run, while mom never missed any of my school competitions and tried to cook only healthy, high-protein food for me. In short, I didn't have the reason to complain about my life because I was quite satisfied almost with everything. I had my own plans for the future. But one day, all my dreams and hopes ripped away. At first, I noticed that my state of health became worse. I started to feel weakness, malaise, and drowsiness. Once, I even fainted through the training, even though it was so normal and easy. Mom and Dad took me to the hospital immediately. There I was, going to have some tests and procedures. The next day, the doctor invited me and my parents to the clinic again and said that I had stage 4 cancer and I only had two weeks left to live. We were so shocked by the news. At first, we did not believe what we had heard, since it was difficult to accept that I only had several days to live. We hoped that there was a mistake. And then, I thought about my symptoms. 
which had become sharply apparent. And about feeling unwell? Like my parents, I had to admit that my diagnosis was true. At home, I locked myself in my room, buried my face in the pillow and cried. I was not ready for such news, but who might be ready to hear anything like this? That was so unfair. I was still young and did not want to die at all. I was feeling really sorry for myself, and so to my parents. Two weeks? What could I do in only fourteen days? When I calmed down a bit, I went down to the living room, where mom and dad were waiting for me. Their eyes were wet of tears. My parents also could not calm down and get over it. But they managed to talk and came up with a certain decision. They were ready to fulfill all of my desires, so that I could enjoy these two weeks in full. I didn't have too many desires. I just wanted to make a jump with a parachute and celebrate my high school graduation. My parents were ready to fulfill all my dreams, and they lifted all restrictions from me. I could eat whatever I wanted, be out late, and sleep as much as I wanted too. That lightened things up a bit, and I found the strength to call Alex and tell him my sad news. Of course, he was very upset, and he promised not to tell anyone at school about that. However, he broke his promise. The very next day, many of my classmates knew about my illness. I saw a lot of pity and sadness in their eyes. Some of them even began to avoid me. But the coach made me upset most of all. He suspended me from the basketball team for very obvious reasons. And then, Alex took my place. Alex couldn't even mask his joy about this. And then I understood that he had deliberately told to everyone about my illness in order to become the team captain as soon as possible. I really wanted to hit a former friend, but I managed to restrain myself. Oh, this day was lousy. I could not talk to anyone, because everyone felt sorry for me and, and tried to learn more about my illness. Because of that, I couldn't stop thinking, even for a minute, that my life would be about to end soon made me sick at heart. And only Mary was ready to listen to me, no questions asked. She sat next to me, holding my hand, listening attentively. I told her about Alex and about the future, which I would never get. Then I realized that I had so little time left before me that I should not continue hiding my love for Mary. I made up my mind and confessed my feelings for her. Mary also confessed that she felt the same way. This moment was the very best and happiest for the whole day. No, it was the happiest moment in my life. I was incredibly happy to know that Mary was in love with me. I was only upset that our happiness would not last long. My cherished dream came true as well. I still made a parachute jump. I had so many positive emotions because of that and I tried not to think about either the disease or the symptoms that bothered me. I had almost fainted several times a day. Sometimes it was difficult for me to get out of bed because of being weak. But all the negativity faded when I heard that my parents had prepared a grand surprise for me. They organized a school graduation party right in our place. Mom and Dad decorated the yard 
called all my friends from school and hired a DJ. I was so surprised that I did not know what to say. That brought tears to my eyes because they fulfilled even this desire for me. The evening was amazing. We had fun, sang songs, and I danced with Mary a lot. I didn't want my magical graduation party to end, so as not to return to another depressing thought about death. The next day, the doctor called and asked me to come to the hospital urgently. My parents were at work, so I went there alone. The doctor said that he had my test mixed with an 80-year-old patient who had the same name and surname. In fact, I had not cancer, but ordinary anemia. This was the reason for all my symptoms. I was extremely happy to know that my life would not end and I could continue to plan my future. But then, I remembered about diets and strict regimen. I was so sad at this thought that I decided not to tell my mom or dad anything so far. But that same evening, Mary called me. She said she couldn't come to me because she needed to go somewhere else. I was a little upset, but Mary promised to spend all day tomorrow with me. Then we said goodbye to each other. Just as I was about to hang up, I heard her voice on the phone again. Apparently, she forgot to turn off the phone. Mary told her sister that she was dating me out of pity, and she was already tired of listening to my whining. The phone fell out of my hands. It was like a cold shower, because I did not expect a second betrayal in just a few days. Mary did not love me. Like everyone else, she just felt sorry for me and found a most terrible way to show it. Being very excited, I ran towards Mary's house. I wanted to speak out to her, but I did not. Instead, I stopped next to the car that belonged to Mary's father. She used this car for driving to school every day. I pulled the keys out of my pocket and scratched the car with them. The alarm stunned me so much that I dropped the keys from my hands. Mary and her family heard the noise and came out from the house. They caught me and called the police immediately. While the police were coming, Mary tried to find out what was happening to me. However, I remained silent, not wanting to talk to her. The police arrived quickly and took me to the police station together with Mary and her parents. They made a statement to the police, but I didn't care. At that moment, I completely forgot that I should not behave so recklessly. My head was filled with other thoughts. A little later, mom and dad came. They took me home and promised to pay damages to Mary's family. At home, I told my parents why I did this. They did not approve of my behavior, but nevertheless they said that they took my side. In order to make me feel better, they gave me another gift, a new bike. I hugged mom and dad and went on that bike to school, where all my joy disappeared instantly. The principal invited me to his office and informed me that he knew about the incident with Mary's car and the police. In such cases, the principal usually excludes the students, but he made concessions regarding me. He didn't know yet that I had no fatal disease. This helped me a lot. I did not confess anything to him. I really loved this school and did not want to leave it. But the day of surprises was not over yet. When I arrived home, my parents were already waiting for me. They looked very happy. It turned out that the doctor called them in the afternoon and advised them to buy effective pills to improve iron status in my blood. Mom did not understand anything at first, but then the doctor told her that he had mixed up the tests and in fact, I had no cancer at all. And then he added that I had come to the clinic several days ago and was aware about the situation. My parents could not restrain from emotions. They ran to me immediately and hugged me tightly. We all cried of happiness. And then Dad asked why I didn't tell them anything right away. I had to admit, I did not want to return to the strict regime of the day and all kinds of diets. Mom said that from that moment, everything would be different for me. I was not expelled from school. 
I also returned to the basketball team and became the captain again. But the best of all was that at last my family and I could live without a heavy burden and without sad thoughts of death. Bye, Mrs. Jenkins. Thanks for having me for dinner. Bye, Brent. Tell your mom I said hi. I'm an ordinary teenager with a strange story. Or maybe not. Stick around and listen to the rest of my story. My family always had issues with maintaining their weight. I figured this is why my best friend and I, Timothy, who lived next door, got along so well. We were the same size. Timothy had a younger sister, Sherry, who hung out with us. She wasn't one of those whiny little sisters. Sherry was actually pretty cool. I never really thought about my weight until that one time when Granddad needed to go to the hospital and those firefighters had to bust those walls down with a sledgehammer to get him out. Granddad had been bedridden because of his weight and when he got sick, Mom called an ambulance. I watched as the paramedics came to the room to get him and told Mom they needed help to move him. They called the firefighters and that's when we lost the wall of the house. A crane was used to pick Granddad off the bed and place him on the trolley. Then they used an automatic pulley to pull him into the ambulance. The eyes of the neighborhood families bore into my granddad as though he was some kind of spectacle at a circus. When they finally got granddad in, they whisked him away. Sadly, granddad didn't leave the hospital that night. It was then and there, I decided it was time to lose some weight. I checked YouTube, watched a few videos with some reputable doctors and physical trainers, and got started. The first month was hard. I did have a few cheat days at the beginning, but when I lost those first two pounds, that was all I needed to keep me motivated. Over the next few weeks, Timothy and I didn't spend as much time together. We didn't have a fight or anything, but I was just so focused on getting my weight down that it consumed most of my time. Instead of getting a lift with Timothy and his parents to school, I decided to walk. Instead of eating in the school cafeteria where I'd succumb to the smells of the food, I ate in the school's courtyard. After I lost about 50 pounds, it seemed as though the invisible spell that was placed over me in high school was suddenly removed. Kids who never told me hi before spoke to me. Needless to say, my social life blew up, and at 17, I had my first date. Soon, it was that time, where we had to choose our prom king and queen. I was excited for Timothy when I heard he was nominated for prom king. I really hoped he'd win so he could leave high school with a bang. After gym class, I walked into the locker room, unknown to the other guys. Okay, so... Kezia told us she'd fix the ballots since she's on the committee, Kyle said. And I'll borrow my dad's saw to slice the legs on the chair, Paul chimed in. This is going to be amazing. When that chair cracks under his weight and we get videos and pictures and post on social media, we'll leave a legacy that's hard to top when we leave this school. I quickly grabbed my bag and headed out of the locker room unseen. As soon as I got home, I walked over to Timothy and knocked on the front door. Hey, Brent. How are you? Haven't seen you around lately. Mrs. Jenkins smiled. I'm okay. Is Timothy at home? I really need to speak to him. Timothy, Brent's here. Mrs. Jenkins gave me one of her mama bear hugs. It was nice seeing you. Don't be a stranger. She walked back to the kitchen and I watched as Timothy came down the stairs. What do you want? Timothy folded his arms across his chest as he stopped in the middle of the staircase. I told Timothy what I heard in the locker room. Seems to me you're jealous because you lost all that weight and you still couldn't make the cut for prom king. I'm just trying to save you from- Save me from what? People who pretend to care one day and the other days just walk away from you? You made your choice to reject me, so don't come in here pretending that we're still friends because we aren't. Timothy walked up the stairs and I turned to walk away when Sherry called behind me. Hi, didn't mean to listen in on your conversation. Hey Sherry, you've got to talk to him, I pleaded. I'll see what I can do. Thanks Sherry. I kissed her on her cheek and let myself out of the house. On the night of prom, I was pretty nervous. 
I stood in the crowd with my then-girlfriend, Victoria, and watched as Timothy proceeded to the stage when his name had been called as Prom King. I tried to tell teachers at the school about what was going to happen, but they said unless I had proof, then it was my word against my peers. Timothy got up to the stage and waved at the crowd, who was cheering him on. I watched as cell phones were lifted in the air and students began to record and take pictures. My stomach churned. I knew what was about to happen, but there was nothing I could do about it. After the prom queen was called up and they took a few photos, it was time for the king and queen to sit on their throne. As Timothy sat on the chair, a loud pop came from the chair as the chair legs broke off. Timothy's arms flew in the air and finally the chair toppled off the back of the stage. There was silence for a few seconds, then an uproar as the students laughed at the sight. Even Victoria doubled over with laughter. I rushed to Timothy's side. He held his arm and groaned in pain as teachers tried to help him up. But Timothy was a big dude, so it took them a few minutes. An ambulance was called, and I drove back with Timothy to the hospital. At the hospital, Timothy was wheeled away, and I sat in the waiting room. I called Timothy's parents as well as my own to tell them what happened. Mr. and Mrs. Jenkins and Sherry arrived before my parents. I cried on Mrs. Jenkins' shoulder. I am such a bad friend. I'm so ashamed of who I became after I lost the weight. Maybe if I was a better friend, Timothy would have listened, and we wouldn't be in the hospital. Mrs. Jenkins held my face between her hands gently and looked me in the eye. Now you listen here. Timothy is in that hospital bed because he didn't listen to you. Don't you dare place that burden on yourself. Was Timothy a good friend to you? Was he cheering you on and trying to help you lose weight? As a person, you are allowed to grow and improve. Friendship is a two-way street. Timothy had his part to play as well. Mom and Dad arrived about 15 minutes later, and we filled them in on what happened. Family of Timothy Jenkins? A male doctor walked into the room and called. We all stood up and walked over to the doctor. Timothy took a hard fall. The bone that connects his elbow and forearm was completely shattered. He underwent surgery and we had to place a pin in his arm. He's still a bit groggy from his surgery, but will allow one person to visit him in a few minutes. Mr. and Mrs. Jenkins told me to go and chat with Timothy, and I followed the doctor to Timothy's room. The doctor nodded at me and told me I had five minutes before he left the room. Hi. I walked over to Timothy's bedside and sat on the chair. His left arm was in a cast. Hey, I didn't expect to see you here. Look, we've both made mistakes over the past few months. It doesn't mean we still can't be friends. I'm sorry for the way I acted. It just felt nice being seen, you know? I'm sorry too. I guess we've both got a lot to learn about friendship. I chatted for a few more minutes with Timothy before the doctor told me it was time to leave. I hugged Timothy and left the room. As soon as Timothy got out of the hospital, he told me that he wanted to lose weight. We started him with a different diet, and it was about six months till he got full use of his arm once again before we began to train together. When I started to hang out with Timothy once more, I faded into the background again. But this time, I didn't mind. Over the next year, Timothy worked hard to lose the weight. In college, some of the kids at high school went to the same college that we did. They reminded us that we'd always be the fat kids from high school. Timothy and I laughed at them. The other kids didn't dare try to pick a fight with us, though. One night during one of the college frat parties, Timothy and I stood outside in the backyard, when suddenly we were doused with beer. Timothy and I looked up on the balcony. Paul and Kyle held two empty buckets in their hands and laughed hysterically. Timothy clenched his fists. I'm going to kill those guys. I held Timothy back. They aren't worth it. Let's just leave. On the way home, we saw a house on fire and a lady's screams were coming from inside. I immediately pulled the car over and Timothy and I hopped out. The lady, dressed in a robe, ran out to the balcony with a teenage girl. Please help us. Do you have a ladder? Timothy called up to her. Yes, it's by the pool in the backyard. 
Timothy sprung into action and quickly retrieved the ladder. He placed it against the wall and I climbed up and helped the girl down first, then the lady. By the time the lady climbed down the ladder, we heard a few cheers from a small group of neighbors who had gathered to see what the commotion was about. A few minutes later, sirens blared and police and firefighters arrived on the scene, followed by an ambulance. The lady and girl thanked Timothy and I before they went into the ambulance and headed to the hospital. That night, Timothy and I got an interview on one of the TV stations. After all the excitement died down, we headed home. A few days later, there was a knock on my front door. I opened it and was surprised to find Kyle and the lady that Timothy and I rescued a few days ago. Good afternoon. Kyle spoke first. Thank you so much for saving my mom and sister. I was shocked. And this is a little thank you from me. Kyle's mom handed me a cake. Thanks, I was just glad to help. And I'll make sure Kyle never bothers you and Timothy again. Kyle and his mom thanked me again. I watched as they walked over to Timothy's house. About a year later at Timothy's birthday party, Sherry kissed me. She admitted that she had a crush on me over the years, but she wasn't sure how I felt about her. Just then, Timothy passed. You better be this girl's boyfriend. I can't stand to see another one of her notebooks covered with your name and hearts all around it. Sherry blocked her face and laughed. Maybe I can do something to fix that. After the party, Sherry and I went on a few dates. I must admit that it did feel a bit weird at first, but after our fifth date, I asked Sherry to be my girlfriend. Sherry and I had been dating for a year, and things were going great when I got an unexpected visitor. Hi, Brent, Victoria said. She held a toddler in her hand. What are you doing here? I came to let you know that I'm taking you to court for child support. Victoria handed me a document. Child support for what? For this. Victoria pointed at the toddler in her hands. Just then, Mom walked into the room and I quickly explained the situation to her and handed her the document. Well, let's go and do a test now. Mom went to the closet and grabbed her purse. Ain't nobody going to do any tests on my baby, Victoria snarled. Mom grabbed her by the arm. And ain't no little girl going to scam my son into paying child support for a child that ain't his. Mom closed the door. When I told Sherry, she didn't say anything. About two weeks later, my parents, together with the lawyer, joined me in front of the judge. The lawyer told the judge that my parents and I wanted to do a paternity test to make sure that the child was mine, but Victoria denied us. The judge ordered Victoria to let me do the paternity test and she adjourned the meeting for the following week. That same day, I took the paternity test and we received the results a few hours later. I wasn't the father. I called Sherry and I thought she'd be as excited as I was, but again, she didn't say anything. A few weeks later, as I flipped through the TV stations, I stopped when I saw Timothy on a paternity TV show. Intrigued, I leaned in to take in the show. Lo and behold, a few seconds later, Victoria walked out with her toddler. I watched Victoria and Timothy argue about who the father of the baby was. Finally, the host read the test results and Timothy was the father of the baby. Timothy being the father of the child and the age of the child meant that Timothy and Victoria were together while Victoria and I were still in a relationship. I waited on Timothy's front porch for him to return home. As soon as I saw him, I landed a blow to his face that knocked him off his feet. You slept with Victoria and then gave me a hard time about being a bad friend? I walked away, then I turned back. Tell Sherry that it's over between us. I figured she knew all along it was your baby and not mine. I'm so over the both of you. I switched my college and stayed at the dorm and only visited my parents once a month, even though I spoke to them every day on the phone. As soon as I finished college, I moved away and started a new life. I got married to a beautiful woman named Megan, and we have two beautiful kids together. As I look back on my experience, what was most amazing is you can be friends with someone for years and never really know who they are. Oh crap, is that who I think it is? 
Gabby, my girlfriend, looked in the direction I was looking at. Who is it? Just then, my stepmother, Nicole, walked up to the bar. Hey, let me get a martini. She looked across at Gabby before returning her gaze to me. Follow me now. We walked out of the bar and she turned to me. So, this is why you asked your father to let you live away from home? She said, waving her hand at the building. Look, I... I'm really not interested in anything you have to say. I know about your little trust fund that Daddy handed over when you turned 18. So, unless you want Daddy to catch a hissy fit about this little activity that you are doing, you will supply all of my demands since your Daddy decided to put me on a budget. Nicole smiled slyly as she ran her hand along my jawline. She turned and cackled as she walked inside. Before I continue, let me introduce myself. I'm Preston. Just a quick reminder to like this video and subscribe to our channel. Smash that notification bell so every time one of our crazy videos comes out, you'll be notified. Your phone's ringing. Gabby yelled into the kitchen. I'm coming. I piled the snacks and drinks onto the tray and hustled to the living room. I placed the tray on the center table and grabbed my phone. I rolled my eyes and answered. What do you want, Nicole? I hope it's not an attitude that I'm detecting from you. Anyway, did you deposit the $5,000 into my account like I told you to? Yes, Nicole. Good. And next time you decide to catch an attitude, I just might let it slip to your father about what I saw a few weeks ago. Don't you ever forget whose game this is. The phone went dead. I sank down into the sofa beside Gabby and rubbed my temples. What did the Wicked Witch of the West want now? The same thing she's wanted ever since she laid eyes on me. To ruin my life. I never knew my mother growing up. Dad said that she woke up one day and decided she didn't want to be a wife and a mother anymore, so she left. When I was around age 12, Dad married Nicole. I'm not sure if he married her for love or to keep an extra set of eyes on me. And I knew Nicole only married Dad for his money. Sometimes I wish I could hold her up to the light and show Dad how fake she was. You know, just how you can identify fake money. Anyway, I couldn't wait to get out of the house from Dad and Nicole. I wasn't allowed to do anything I wanted at home, and Dad always told me that one day I would take over his company. Dad said that he would pay my tuition for college only if I went to the same college that he did. I convinced him, however, to let me live away from home. He said if he heard me getting into any mischief outside, that I would have to return home to live. Which brings us back to my present dilemma. What is she trying to blackmail you for now? Gabby looked at me amused. She said she's going to tell Dad about me working at the bar. If she does tell him, then I have no choice but to go back home and live there. Dad is looking for any opportunity to get me back under his roof. And Nicole knows this. She knows about the trust fund and now she's extorting money from me. The only way to stop someone from blackmailing you is to find something that you can blackmail them for. It's quite simple if you ask me. Gabby smiled, a twinkle in her eyes. It's time to put on your big boy pants and deal with Nicole on a different level. I knew there was a reason I liked you. I laughed. <laughs> I like the way you think. Gabby and I decided that we would take turns following Nicole. We thought that this would be better since Dad was a well-known businessman. We didn't want to risk hiring outside help and then get blackmailed for what he found on Nicole. After following Nicole for about three weeks, we couldn't find anything out of the ordinary to blackmail Nicole with. We did find out, however, that she was seeing a counselor a few days a week, which we found odd, but we couldn't get past the lobby if we didn't have an appointment. I decided that I would become a client of her counselor to see if I could get something that we could hold against Nicole. As I waited for an elevator to head to my first meeting with the counselor, the elevator doors opened and I turned around quickly as I noticed Nicole in the elevator. 
I looked over my shoulder to make sure she left the building before waiting for another elevator to head to my meeting. Phew, that was close. I sat outside his door until the secretary told me it was okay to enter. I opened the door and saw an older gentleman sitting next to a sofa. He stood and welcomed me. He introduced himself as Mr. Khan. The only thing on his desk was a photo of a young girl around age five. I surveyed the room with my eyes to see if anything stood out about the counselor, but nothing did. Preston. Mr. Khan's voice jolted me back to reality. Are you ready to begin? I nodded my head and we began our session. Nothing out of the ordinary happened for the first few weeks. I almost forgot that I was there to get information that I could blackmail Nicole with. Until one session changed all of that. I'm sorry, Mr. Khan. His secretary burst into the room. I told her that you were in a session, but she insisted on seeing you now. I've been calling you for the past 30 minutes. Nicole pushed the secretary aside. She was so focused on Mr. Khan that I was invisible to her. We have to go and check on Patrice now. You remember her, your daughter? The doctor said something came up. Let's go. Nicole stormed out of the office. Mr. Khan cleared his throat. <clears throat> Sorry about the interruption. How about we pick this up another day? I nodded and opened the door cautiously. I peeked outside to make sure that Nicole was nowhere around. As I made my way out of the building, I called Gabby and told her that I finally found something on Nicole. We decided to meet in my apartment that night. Okay, so what did you find out about the wench? Gabby asked as soon as I opened the door for her. She barged into my sessions today. I don't even think she realized I was there. Get to the meat of the combo. What did you find out? Gabby was impatient. Apparently, I walked towards my laptop and sat down. Nicole has a daughter, and apparently with the doctor. I thought that maybe if I looked for Nicole's name or the doctor's on the internet, that maybe something about their daughter would pop up. Well, it's worth a shot. Check for any type of accidents that could have occurred as well. We couldn't find anything on Nicole or the doctor. We got lucky when an article popped up and a picture with Mr. Khan, Nicole, and a teenager popped up. About nine years ago, a drunk driver hit a 16-year-old girl, Nyla George, while she was crossing the street. The article said that one person died that day. No name of the person who died or the driver was mentioned. If she's still married to Mr. Khan, then that means she and dad aren't married. But why go through all the charade? We'll need to find out Mr. Khan's and Nicole's real names to piece the puzzle together. Tomorrow, we head for the hospital. The next day, Gabby and I entered the hospital. Gabby said that she was looking for her cousin, Nyla George. The receptionist gave her the name of the room number and we went in search of the room. We decided that Gabby would sneak into the room while I stood guard since patients' files were kept in their rooms. I sat with a magazine right outside Nyla's room as Gabby went in. After a few seconds, Gabby came out. Just as she was about to close the door, the doctor came around the corner. Hey, what are you two doing? Let's go. I grabbed Gabby's hand and ran out of the hospital before the security guard caught up with us. We jumped into the car and sped out of the hospital parking lot. When we were a good way off, I turned to Gabby. So, are you going to keep me in suspense? What did you find out? Nicole's real name is Afia George, and Mr. Khan's real name is David George. But why the aliases? I looked at Gabby, who was now looking through her phone. I just found another article where Nicole spoke out about the cover-up of the identity of the drunk driver who also killed his wife. The car screeched to a halt. The sounds of angry drivers and car horns zoomed past. Before she even said the name, I knew who it was. A feeling of dread washed over me. The name of the drunk driver was Alvin Bird. Alvin Bird. That was my dad's name. I turned the car around and headed for dad's office. For the past nine years, he made me believe that my mother walked out on me. For nine years, he made me believe that she was the bad one. 
only to find out that he had killed her because of his drunk driving. My fingers clenched the steering wheel as I zigzagged through the traffic. I pulled up to my dad's office and ran into the building. I climbed the stairs two at a time until I reached his office floor. I pushed open every conference and office door calling for him until someone told me that he already left for the day. I ran downstairs and headed back to the car. When I got to the car, Gabby was standing outside with her arms folded. I'm not getting back in there with you if that's how you are going to drive. Well, suit yourself. I hopped into the driver's seat and sped off, leaving Gabby in the parking lot. I tried calling Dad as I raced to the house, but it went straight to voicemail. I pulled up into the driveway, hopped out of the car, and ran into the house. Dad, where are you? Mr. and Mrs. Bird left a few minutes ago, the housekeeper said. Do you know where they went? He told me this morning he had some meeting with a counselor. Thanks. I went back to the car frustrated and slammed my hands on the wheel. Damn it! I ran my hands through my hair. I pulled out my phone and called the police. I told them that there was a kidnapping and I told them where dad was being kept. As I hung up, I hoped that I was right about the location and that dad was okay. By the time I got to the counselor's office, the parking lot only had two cars and one was dad's. I walked cautiously towards the building. One guard was making his rounds outside. When he moved to the back of the building, I slipped inside. The other guard was sitting in the chair by the monitors with his head tilted back. I bolted up the steps until I came to the floor with Mr. Khan's office. I looked around. The hallway was clear. I went to the door and turned the knob slowly and pushed it. Nothing. The door was locked. I pressed my ear on the door as I tried to hear anything that would let me know if Dad was okay. But the door was too thick. I decided to squeeze under the secretary's desk and hide, which was covered on all sides until the door opened. A few minutes later, I heard the door open. I peeped around the desk and watched as Nicole stormed out of the office. I silently edged my way to the door before it closed and slipped inside the office. In front of me, Mr. Khan's back was turned to me as he landed another blow onto my father's face. I walked up to Mr. Khan, spun him around and landed a blow to his right cheek. Mr. Khan and I scuffled around the office, knocking over things and finding anything we could get our hands on to get the upper hand over the other. I was finally able to knock out Mr. Khan and sat on the floor next to him exhausted. Suddenly, I heard a noise behind me and spun around. I watched in shock as Nicole collapsed over me. Gabby looked down at the both of us with a smug smile as she casually held a baseball bat on her shoulder. You always go into battle prepared. She winked at me. I smiled. I pushed Nicole off me and Gabby and I untied Dad and placed him to lie on the floor. He was barely conscious. We used the ropes to tie up Mr. Khan and Nicole. While we were doing that, the police came. We told them everything we knew as they hauled Nicole and Mr. Khan away. Dad was taken to the hospital. Are you okay? Gabby glanced at me concerned. Yeah, I'm fine. Meet over at my place? There's something I need to do first. She nodded. That night, I finished moving all of my things from Dad's. I also cleared out his safe and the money from the trust fund into another account. When I got to the apartment, I told Gabby that I wasn't sure if I could forgive Dad for lying to me about Mom. It was time that I lived life by my rules. I dropped out of college and went to a community college that I could afford. Gabby and I moved in together, and I continued working part-time as a bartender. One night before going to bed, my phone rang. Who's calling this late? Gabby looked at me. It was Dad. Nobody. I switched off the phone, turned off the light, and went to bed. Meanwhile, at the hospital. Nyla's eyes fluttered open. Doctor, she's finally awake! The nurse yelled into the hall. Will you be my girlfriend, Stephanie? Well, um... Stephanie stammered. I took a deep breath and brought my hand up to my nose. Stephanie's face turned red. She knew what was about to happen. 
She knew I was about to sneeze. She shuddered and looked like she was going to burst into tears immediately. I took another breath and readied myself. Uh, I was almost sneezing. Wait, I'll do it. I'll be your girlfriend. I calmed down. I didn't sneeze. And just like that, I had a new pretty girlfriend. Stephanie was not my first girlfriend. As a matter of fact, she was the fifth girl that I had dated this year. I got them to agree to be my girlfriends the same way I got them to agree to leave me whenever I wanted a new girlfriend. The last girl I dated was Amanda, and I broke up with her just yesterday when I decided that Stephanie was going to be my new girlfriend. Amanda, it's over between us. Wait, why? Did I do something wrong? Why do you want to break up with me? You did nothing wrong, Amanda. I'm just tired of you. But we were just getting to know each other! Amanda screamed. Yes, I bullied girls into dating me, but when they accepted, I always treated them nicely. I bought special, expensive gifts for them and took them to nice places that they could never afford to go to on their own. I was the only child of wealthy parents. They lavished me with money, and I used it to take care of my girlfriends. Because of this, they always felt sad when I wanted to leave them. I felt bad too, but I couldn't handle taking care of more than one girl at a time. So whenever I wanted to date a new girl, I left the old one. I took a deep breath and pretended like I was about to sneeze. Fine! Amanda screamed. Don't sneeze. I accept it. It's over! And with that, she stormed off. The next day, I moved on to my new prey, Stephanie. I'm sure you must think I'm the luckiest guy in the world, and you're wondering how I make people do whatever I want, simply by either sneezing or pretending I want to sneeze. Well, I'm about to tell you right now. So hit the like button if you've enjoyed this story so far. Subscribe to this channel immediately and turn on post notifications so you don't miss any story from us. My name is Graham and I was diagnosed with epilepsy when I was only three years old. For those that don't know what epilepsy is, it's a sickness that makes me fall on the floor and start shaking and vibrating, even bleeding from my nostrils sometimes. I look like I'm about to die whenever it happens and this freaks everybody out. As years went by, the epileptic attacks reduced and started happening only when I sneezed. My parents talked to our family doctor about it and she told them to try to reduce the frequency of my sneezes by removing me from situations that triggered it. So I had to avoid dusty places, kitchens, cold places and even meals that were too spicy. My parents did their best but I still sneezed once in a while because it was natural. Whenever this happened, an emergency injection would be stabbed right into my heart and my mom would cry since she didn't know if I was going to survive. My parents could never get pregnant again after having me. I was the only one who could continue the family name and business, so they raised me like an egg. Whenever I felt like I was about to sneeze, my parents ran around like mad people doing everything possible to ensure I didn't sneeze. I got whatever I asked for, no matter how selfish or ridiculous it seemed. After noticing this, I started asking for more stuff. I asked for a car, a personal driver, bodyguards, all the latest Apple products and so many other expensive things that working class adults couldn't afford. My parents gave me everything, as long as I promised to try not to sneeze. This made me feel powerful. My pride rose to an unreasonable level and one day I realized I could make everyone do my bidding, just like my parents. And I decided to test this theory in class the next day. When Mr. Speaks, my English teacher, told me to come to the front of the class and read out my badly written English essay, I said no. He insisted and told me that he was going to give me detention if I refused. I took a deep breath and put my hands above my nose, getting ready to sneeze. At this time, nobody in the school knew about my condition apart from my principal, so they all stared at me wondering why I was trying to sneeze. Ah-choo! I sneezed with all the power I had in me. My powerful sneeze triggered my epileptic attack, 
and with a heavy thud, I landed on the floor. My classmates jumped up from their desks. Mr. Speaks went, What? He couldn't believe what had just happened. Did Graham really just trigger an epileptic episode? Does he want to kill himself? He asked, amazed. Nobody answered him because they were all running around me, trying whatever they could to help bring me back. The nurse was called, so she stabbed something into my heart, and I was well again. Everyone hugged me and told me they were glad I was back. They all looked so worried. I smiled mischievously because I knew that I had cracked the code. I knew the trick to ruling the whole school now. I knew it. I was a king. This was when I blew it out of proportion. I was wealthy and obsessed with power, so I acted accordingly. I became a brat and the school bully. I forced everyone to do whatever I wanted, teachers and students alike. I forced girls to date me, changing them up as I deemed fit. On the off chance that someone disobeyed my order, which was usually very rare, I would forcefully sneeze. My sneezes were mostly fake these days. As a result, they didn't always trigger the epileptic response I desired. Whenever this happened, I would simply fake it, giving the little kids around me a lifetime scare. One day, I was hanging out in the school park with my latest girlfriend, Stephanie. She was telling me how happy she was about the iPhone 13 I gave her as a birthday gift and how she had been able to make money on Instagram because of the high-quality pictures she'd been posting lately. When Mark, the info giver, called me to the side and gave me some news. We called him Mark, the info giver, because he always knew the latest thing about what was happening in school. I don't know how he did it, but he was the first person to know about whatever went down in school. Sometimes even before the school authorities. Mark didn't give his information for free, though. He always gave it in exchange for money, but he was scared of me, so he never asked me for money unless I volunteered to give him some. I was so stunned by what Mark told me this time that I didn't volunteer any cash. He looked sad, but I couldn't care less. You can leave now, I told him. Mark scrambled off. Thank you, he mumbled as he ran off. What is it, honey? Stephanie asked. I ignored her and walked towards the principal's office. I was fuming. Mark told me that my parents were invited by the principal and they were in her office at that very moment talking about me. I got to the principal's office and opened the door slightly, but nobody noticed my presence. I heard their voices and Mark was right. I can't believe this! My father bellowed. Why will he behave this way? What have we done wrong? We have given him everything he's ever wanted. Why? I'm sorry, sir, but we are considering expelling your son. Students have been complaining that he is making their lives a living hell. Parents have threatened to withdraw their kids from our school because of him. My mother started shedding tears. I can't believe this. She cried. Don't expel him, please. Give us some time. My dad begged. What do you plan to do? My principal asked. Well, we will ignore him the next time he tries to sneeze. And even when he actually sneezes, we will still pay him no heed. My dad replied. When he realizes that his tactics are no longer working, he will be forced to change his ways. I suggest that you guys do the same thing here. Hmm. My principal pondered. Are you sure this is a good idea? If we start ignoring him, how will he know when he has a real attack? My dear mom asked. I don't think Graham has had an attack that wasn't self-induced in years. My principal interjected. At this point, I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't believe that these people, my own parents, were plotting against me, planning to ignore their own son. I stormed into my principal's office and screamed, You guys are all evil. You neither love nor care about me. I have always suspected this. You all hate me, don't you? No, Graham. That's not true. My mom pleaded. But I wasn't going to listen to her. I wasn't going to listen to any of them anymore. 
I started running away from the office, but as I ran, it felt like an invisible force went around my leg and pulled me to the floor. I landed with a thud. My chest contracted and I couldn't breathe anymore. My eyes went up my skull and my hands and feet started pointing in the wrong directions. As I started convulsing, I realized that I really hadn't had a real epileptic attack in years, so I had forgotten just how terrible and painful it really felt. Tears left my eyes as I figured out just how stupid I had been, playing with something that was life or death. I tried to call out to my sweet mom for help, but no words left my mouth, only sounds of gargling and undescribable pain. Mom, I screamed in my mind, help me. But my lips formed no words and no one came to my help. I cried in pain. I had fallen right beside the principal's office door so they could still see me, yet no one came to help me. I knew it was all my fault. They thought I was pretending. Why wouldn't they? I hoped they would come and check on me just to confirm, but no one came. Not my parents, not the principal. Instead, they just laughed out loud and continued their discussion like nothing happened. I couldn't believe it. This was real. This was happening to me. I was going to die and my parents were going to watch me die because of my stupidity. When I started bleeding from my nostrils, my mother got worried and wanted to come help me. Sweetheart, I think we should check on Graham. He's been there for too long. He just started bleeding and I'm no longer comfortable. She told my dad. It's fine. My dad said. Our boy is just such a good actor. He will stop when he sees that no one is paying attention to him at all. My energy had left me, and I could no longer fight it. I embraced the peace and quiet. I knew that this was the last time I was going to see my parents. So as I took one last glance at them, I whispered, I love you guys. The words didn't come out, but I just wanted to believe that they would hear me in their own minds. The last thing I saw before I closed my eyes was my mom racing towards me. I knew she would come, but it was already too late. I stepped into the light and I was gone. I woke up in the hospital one week later to find my mom, my dad, my principal, Stephanie and our family doctor, Dr. Chambers, all looking down at me with smiles on their faces. I couldn't believe it. I didn't die. I was alive. Mom, I tried to scream. Yes, honey. She smiled. Don't stress yourself, okay? You'll be fine. What happened? I asked. I'm so sorry, my boy. We thought you were faking it. My dad cried. We will never ignore you again, ever. I know, Dad. You shouldn't be sorry. I should. I was out of control. I never knew how my actions were affecting others. I just wanted to have everything I wanted, and I did it through bullying instead of hard work. I'm very sorry, and I'll never go back to my old ways. Please, forgive me, I begged. We forgive you, my son. When we saw that you weren't moving, we immediately rushed you to the hospital. Dr. Chambers said it might not be able to revive you, but she and the other doctors would try all they could. Here we are, one week later. Thank you so much, Dr. Chambers. Thank you for saving our son. My dad turned and shook our family doctor's hands. It was a team effort, sir. Always a pleasure. Dr. Chambers replied with a huge grin on his face. Stephanie ran and hugged me. I'm so glad you didn't die, honey. Stephanie, you're here? You still want to date me? But I've been so bad. Of course I want to date you. Even though you were a bully, you always cared. You took care of all your girlfriends properly and you gave them whatever they needed, even when it was to your own detriment. I was going to leave our school because of you before, but after hearing that you almost died, I realized that I actually do love you. I believe that you have really changed after this near-death experience. 
and I'm willing to give you a chance to prove yourself. Wow, Stephanie, I love you too. After this experience, I changed for the good. What did you learn from my story? Have you ever bullied someone? Have you ever been bullied yourself? What did you learn from your experience? Share it with us in the comments section below. Like, subscribe, and turn on post notifications and watch the next video on our channel. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Ikea Express. Thirty five boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com